This is the Marketing Hero Podcast by ClearPivot, turning marketers into heroes. Welcome to the Marketing Hero Podcast. I'm your host, Maya Wells. In this episode, we are exploring the best routes to market for B2B SaaS companies and enterprise software. Join me as I talk with Sridhar Ramanathan. Before co-founding Aventi Group, which is a product marketing agency, Sridhar headed up managed services marketing at HP. He now works with big name SaaS companies like SAP, Zendesk, Smartsheet, and Bamboo HR. Let's get into our discussion of routes to market for SaaS, which Sridhar will tell you is a heart-centric process. Sridhar Ramanathan, welcome to the show. Great to meet you, Maya. I'm thrilled. Thanks for being uh, the host here. Thanks for being with us. Let's start off with a question we'd like to ask all of our guests. What's your favorite part of your professional life and how did you figure that out? It's such a good question. I love it. I think at the end of the day, my favorite part of my professional life is helping marketers take their game to the next level. All of our clients are big tech companies and also early stage, mid-sized companies. We deal with marketers and we love to help them take their game to the next level. They're already good. We've done about 700 projects with B2B tech firms over the last 16 years. And when I say take their game to the next level, that means improve their messaging, for example, messaging and positioning, their go-to-market plans, their campaigns, you know, their content marketing, sales enablement, all these aspects that marketers really need to do to drive pipeline and brand awareness. Those are the kind of things that I really enjoy. It's the favorite part of doing this thing. And how, can I ask, how did you figure out that that was your favorite thing? You've, you've had some different parts of your career. Um, what, how did you really figure out that that's where you thrive and that's what you love doing? I wish I could say it was prescience and foresight and long range planning, but not really. It was myself, my co-founder, Jeff Thompson and I, when we first started this organization years ago, we found that client executives, what they wanted the most is they just needed help to take their game to the next level, as I mentioned a minute ago. And we always thought of it as, Jeff and I thought of it as, how do we make them heroes? How do we help them be more successful? They're already successful, but the way we figured it out is staying true to our knitting. Like we, we as a product marketing agency did not start to getting into things like website design, or we didn't try to get into email marketing or SEO, for example. We really stuck to the knitting because product marketing is the crying need that these client executives had. So we just followed what the clients are asking us for and stayed true to, true to that. So nothing more magical than that, Maya, I would say, on how we figured out our focus. That's an inspiring, inspiring story. Thank you for sharing that with us. I just have one question before we dive into some of our, our deeper interview, you know, um, our, into our deeper interview. What do you mean when you say client executives? Oh, that's a great question. So our clients are all business to business software companies. Many of them are SaaS companies and our client executive would be the chief marketing officer. It could be the VP of product marketing, VP of global marketing. Uh, sometimes it's often the business unit head it could be the vice president general manager of a business unit. For example, SAP is a client of ours. So we often their business unit heads are VPs who are very short on product marketing talent. They have lots of other marketing people, but not product experts. So one of the, when I say client executives, it also includes those VP GMs and, and also campaign leaders. So those are some examples. 
So if you heard your job title in that list, listen up because all of this information that you're about to get in this podcast is some free advice from one of the top people in product marketing that you can possibly find. So, you know, I'm just saying it's something to listen to uh, if you heard your job title on, on that list. So let's dive into the interview, Sridhar, a little bit uh, deeper. I, I want to know from you, my number one question is, what's the most important thing for a SaaS product to have in place before going to market? It's such a good question, Maya. I think a lot of companies... Uh, rush to market with the SaaS product, but they don't really have their go-to-market plans well thought through, or even their minimal viable product, MVP, minimal viable product. Uh, and when I say go-to-market, I'm referring to all the investments post-product uh, completion. When the product is, quote, quote, GA, generally available, then that's when sales, marketing, sales enablement, demand gen, all those elements of the GTM mix uh, are, are engaged and take the product forward. What is often the most important thing is having a clear product definition. I can't tell you how often we see products that are not really well defined. They don't really have the minimal viable product offering. It's not fully baked. And that just makes the sales and marketing investment that much weaker. So what we recommend is first make sure the product is getting close to being commercially viable. And then number two, most important thing is to have a formal go-to-market plan, an actual GTM plan. Most companies do it to varying degrees. Some are very rigorous. Some don't even do a go-to-market plan. In fact, sometimes the engineering side of the house, the product organization will say, okay, we're about to launch this product. It's going to go GA, generally available, ready to ship in 30 days. So please, marketing, go do your magic, get the website updated, all that stuff, train our reps. That's just not enough time. So a go-to-market plan includes a lot of really important pieces, Maya, as you already know, probably, mm -hmm. is first off, define the category. So when you're a SaaS product, there's a lot of SaaS products out there. Well, what category are you in? What's the, the bucket that you fit into naturally? If it's a new one, then make it easy to explain that category. Also be clear on who is the ideal customer profile, the ICP, what's the ideal? Doesn't mean you won't sell to other verticals and other size companies, but know what's the sweet spot you're totally going for. Thirdly is the target persona, who exactly are the buying folks, the decision makers, the gatekeepers, influencers, uh, clear and compelling value proposition. I can't tell you a lot of times SaaS companies, the engineering product side says, cool product, we're ready to ship. Well. Why is this so valuable to the company, to the prospect? What pain does it solve? What's the differentiation? And also think about the whole buyer's journey from thought leadership education all the way through to trialware or you know, evaluation, evaluating and trying the software before they buy it. And then lastly, the GTM plan should include a very thorough enablement plan for both the direct sales organization as well as channel partners. A lot of times channel partners are an afterthought big mistake. So a SaaS product getting to market really need to work backwards, the sales channels, the channel partners, and enabling them upfront. So long answer, but all of those are sort of check boxes that are really need to be in that go-to-market plan. So my number one question after that, I guess it's my number two question, because that was sure. my number one question. Um, what that brings to mind is who is doing these things. So it really sounds like there is a sales uh, aspect to it, a marketing aspect to it, product. Um, what's your secret sauce for getting all of those different people and departments on board with the go-to-market plan? Yeah, good question. My, the secret sauce, it's not so secret, is product marketing really is the owner of go-to-market plans. Functionally, the product marketing organization 
is the hub with spokes and all the spokes are radiating outwards. So the spokes would include other marketing functions like demand gen, Marcom, PR, AR, analyst relations, sales enablement, the product side of the house, product management, product development, all of those are stakeholders, but the owner of the go-to-market plan should be product marketing. Most companies, it is product marketing. Some companies have the go-to-market plan owned by product management, but typically product management is concerned with getting the best product to market to the right buyer at the right point in time. It's really up to product marketing to create the GTM plan, go-to-market plan. Excellent. Thanks for sharing all of those great insights. Now, I want to know, once you have that, let's say you have your MVP, you've got your GTM, all of our wonderful acronyms are in place. We know who our ICP is. Now, how does a SaaS or software company, you know, whichever solution you might be working on, how, how do they determine the best route to market? Yeah, super question. Um, when people say route to market, or route to market, uh, usually it is they think of channel and that's fine, or they might think of marketing channels. We in Aventi Group, as since we've been in business 16 years, have you know 700 plus engagements. We like to start with let's talk about the target customer, going back to that ideal customer profile. Who is that ICP and the decision makers, stakeholders within that account, and who has the best relationships should be the starting point for the route to market. So, for example, Let's suppose your target decision maker happens to be the chief information security officer, let's say CISO. Well, who has the best relationship with that CEO, CIO or CISO? It may not be you going direct to that CISO. It might be better or more efficient to go through the route to market might be more better served with a global system integrator, for example, like Accenture or Deloitte or PwC. It may be more efficient. The best relationship with that target buyer might be a solution provider, a VAR, a company that provides a lot of services. They're already engaged with that chief information security officer. And you might be better off partnering with that partner, that solution provider, in reaching that ultimate buyer rather than going direct. It might be a lot more efficient as a route to market to go through a solution provider. It's also very popular these days to go with managed services companies. And one example that comes to mind is Fortinet. Fortinet is a full disclosure client of ours. They're in the network security business. They rely very heavily on, on channel partners like system integrators, like solution providers to reach the buyer, the security head. And they do do some direct, but they rely as a route to market. When I say route to market, Fortinet is using is a good example of going through these, uh, these sort of channel organizations. And then lastly, I would say, yeah, sorry. Were you going to say something, Maya? Oh, I was just going to say that that's an excellent insight that I know a lot of people miss uh, when talking about how to really reach the customer they're trying to reach. It's not always direct. And right. that's definitely, it's a good insight for people, especially in startup SaaS, because you might not think of those other layers that can get you there faster. Exactly. Faster, more cost-effectively. And truthfully, that end buyer, the fortunate example I gave you, you know, that buyer is not used to dealing necessarily with the Fortinet. They're more used to working with Accenture as an example. Now, the flip side is there are cases where it makes absolute sense to go direct to as a route to market to go direct to your your ideal target, your ideal customer profile. Bamboo HR, as an example, uh, is a SaaS company and they sell directly to the chief HR officer, CHRO, VP of HR. Those are some of the buyers and they go directly. So Bamboo HR does a fantastic job marketing, selling, 
in approaching those buyers. So route to market really depends on who has the relationship. And I personally recommend my uh, three homework items for marketing executives when they're thinking about the route to market. Three things you really should be prepared to answer. One is, well, what do we know about that target decision maker and what makes them buy? What's the purchase trigger? Really getting clear on that. And then number two, well, who has the best, who do they already buy from? The, the target customer, they're already buying products and services that may be in a, in a contiguous market to your own market. Who do they buy from? Because those could be some logical routes to market for you to partner with. And then thirdly, look at your competition. How are your competitors mark going to market? Are they going through system integrators? Are they going through direct channel? Are they going through value-added resellers? Because it informs your own landscape and how you can win. So those are three homework items I would suggest when you think about the best route to market. Wow, getting homework items, all the good <laughs> tips. That's what you get here on the Marketing Hero podcast. So <laughs> tell me, Sridhar, what about, so once you have decided on that route to market, that route to market, um, what do you then do to choose marketing channels? Because I know a lot of people think about route to market as marketing channels, as you mentioned. So differentiating that a little bit for all of our listeners, how do you go about choosing marketing channels once you've gotten that part uh, situated? That's a good point there, Maya. And I appreciate you highlighting the, the distinction between a sales channel. When I talked about channel partners and going through system creators, those are traditionally sales channels because they have relationships with that target customer. Um, marketing channels is a different animal. And I like to start with the same philosophy, really understand your target decision maker. Where do they hang out? Where What are their watering holes? Watering holes meaning what are the events that they attend, industry events? What associations do they belong to? Perhaps they're, they're already in LinkedIn groups um, and they might be engaging with their peers, product review sites. Sometimes that target decision maker will go to popular review sites like G2, like Gartner Insights, like Captera. Uh, there may be in industry analyst forums where your target buyer is hanging out, they're attending. And nowadays with the pandemic going on, these may not be physical meetings. They may be very much online webinars. They may be virtual events and virtual forums, uh, trade publications, bloggers. Bloggers are a very important, quote, watering hole. These are influencers who you may not recognize their name, but these are very influential people. So I would say from a marketing channel, choosing the right channel, first start off with knowing the watering holes. Two is to interview your target decision maker. Ideally, you've done some customer research on where they hang out, what information um, are they interested in, who do they turn to for advice? What do they, how do they go about educating themselves? Your target buyer is also on a learning curve. So how do they go about learning? And I guess the, another factor when you think about marketing channels there, Maya, is, is events. Um, a lot of times I find SaaS companies are in love with big events. And just a personal opinion, our experience is big events are not really a great ROI as a route to market channel, a marketing channel, if you will to reach your buyers, you know, very expensive. And with the pandemic, people have shifted these big physical events. They might be two day, three day industry events or vendor events. They've moved them, they've just completely cut and paste and moved them over to virtual. And nobody wants to hang out in a three day online virtual event. So I'm just trying to contrast when you choose your marketing channel, think about the ROI of your spend. If you're doing a big trade show type of thing, it may not be the biggest, biggest bang for the buck. Instead, we focus or we recommend as a marketing channel, social media, very efficient, very targeted. 
social media, knowing where do your target buyers hang out, you know, what LinkedIn groups do they belong on, what other forums, and, and engage there. Very targeted, very cost-effective. Content marketing. You're all B2B marketers. You know content really is critical. So think through the whole nurturing process from thought leadership all the way through to, say, trialware. And then lastly, much more efficient is ABM campaigns as a channel, as a, as a, as a way to reach your target buyer. ABM account-based marketing, very, very focused, really um, disciplined. You're not trying to spray and pray. Instead, you know who the target buyer are, the, uh, the, the size of the company, geography, the personas, and you're developing a nurturing campaign. So all of those are factors to think about when you're designing your marketing channels. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's a great discussion and a great basis. If you're taking notes here, there's some great points to remember for later on marketing channels. Now, I think that one of the questions a lot of people are asking is, how are you using data in this strategic decision-making process? Yeah, data is incredibly important. Um, I grew up in HP, 12 years there, and I finished as an executive. So in my in my DNA is being a very data-driven marketing executive. And folks in Aventi are the same way. We like to have our client, our, we, we recommend starting with the business goals. When you say make data for strategic decisions, well, what is the business goal? So ideally the marketers, you all, your audience, really know understand what the revenue growth is, the market share, the user adoption numbers. Usually there's very specific goals and metrics that the marketing organization is there to deliver. Now. In terms of informing marketing channels, for example, or your routes to market, there's specific me metrics that we recommend. So some metrics I love are conversion rates. If you look at the funnel, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, there are conversion rates from the top to bottom. And most companies do a so-so job of looking at the conversion rates. And when I say conversion rates, I'm saying, let's say you have a thought leadership piece, like an ebook, or maybe it's a white paper or a research note. You know, look at the conversion of those prospects all the way through to the bottom of the funnel to revenue and where is there leakage going on. There's also good metrics on social media. So people in your audience, I, I'm sure you know that some of the popular social media metrics include likes, shares, commenting, link backs to your website. All of these are very measurable. There are nice tools to help you see, you know, am I getting good engagement with that target prospect, target personas? Uh, sentiment analysis. What is the disposition of that target buyer? Are, are they engaged, not engaged? Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they frustrated? So you can get some good data on sentiment analysis. Share of voice is another one. What is your share of voice? Now that requires listening. And a lot of times your your PR agency, AR may even um, have this have tools to to detect, to listen to the conversations out there and what percentage of those conversations are you actively mentioned and getting a share of voice. The final set of metrics to look at are SEO, search engine optimization. Uh, Google Analytics provides some really good, easy to follow metrics. Are the keywords you want to own trending up? Are you showing up on page uh, ranks and page searches, things of that nature? So there's no lack of data, I would say, Maya. Uh, the thing we like to look at is pick about 10 of these metrics that I've, I've just enumerated here and then track them over time. Uh, we like to look for trend analysis over the, over the next 90 days or last 90 days. What has transpired? Where are you getting traction? Where are you finding it's kind of a dead end and, and time to optimize? Yeah, and I think that optimize piece is a really important thing to highlight because of course we have so many tools and technologies for looking at these metrics and you even have 
tools for amalgamating them into beautiful visuals, like a tool like Databox comes to mind, for example, you can do a lot to see it. And then I think that optimize word is very important to highlight that you just ended with because a lot of people stop there. They look at it. Great. And there's not a now what, and I think making pivots where necessary or thinking about next steps, um, making, making those strategic calls based on data is a super important piece of that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And some companies do a really nice job of A-B testing, for example, of like subject lines in an email blast. So A-B testing is a form of optimizing. You try something out and see what kind of results you get, and then you optimize and you sort of adjust and on the fly make, make changes in your execution. And Databox is one tool. There are so many you know, good tools, each for different functions. There are tools for social media, there's tools for SEO, there's tools for sentiment analysis. I could do a whole blog post on here are the tools you should really think about in your MarTech stack that you might want to have to you know, make good decisions based on actual data right. and your key performance indicators. Yeah. 100%. Can you give us an example of an unexpected success that you've witnessed or that you've been a part of with a SaaS go-to-market that you've led? Um, give us an example of an unexpected success. You know, I think one of the hidden gems, we, we stumbled upon this sort of NT group um, a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, one of our clients, full disclosures, is Adobe. And we were looking at their software trials, Adobe software trials. And what we found is that there was a fair amount of leakage and Adobe's not alone. So as a SaaS company, there are many SaaS companies that um, they use what's called product-led revenue product-led marketing. So the product itself is selling and marketing itself within an organization. And software trials are one tactic to get someone, a user, to try the software and then actually use it and then recommend it to their colleagues. Now, what was happening is, is there was a lot of leakage. People would sign up for the trial and then they wouldn't actually download the software or actually use it. So there was tons of leakage. Um, the marketing organization will drive people to the trial site there might be some signups and then it just sort of dies. So what we did is we looked at the whole end-to-end -end user experience of the trial, software trial, free software trial. And again, a lot of our SaaS clients are, are doing the same thing. And we found we could get a three times, a three X improvement in the trial usage. This is post signup and ultimately a 50% bump in revenue just by looking at free software trials as a end-to-end -end user experience process. A lot of marketing organizations, they just stop at, hey, we're here to drive trials, signups, and then they stop. And no one else is watching or steering the ship and say, well, did they convert to revenue? And we looked at that. So this is an unexpected success, Maya, I would say, because like, who knew? Yes. We all know software trials are cool, but we didn't know they were, they were just an un underutilized you know, resource. Can you give us a few concrete examples of what that transformation actually ends up looking like? So once you take a look at what's happening during the free trial, are there things that you add within the product? Let's say tool tips that bring people along in the story. Do you use email? What are some of the tools or some of the changes that you ended up implementing to drive that 3x improvement? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the whole end-to-end -end process. For example, even the sign-up, we, we start at the sign-up. So let's just double-click on this whole free trial where, right, free trial software. Uh, if, if it's too many clicks just to sign up, then people just abandon. So, so that was one opportunity. The website, you know, the trial sign-up sheet, uh, is that really super easy for someone to, to sign up? Then post sign-up, 
is it really easy to actually download or use that SAS? And we found there was leakage there because if it's too hard, and yes, a little video clip is really helpful. We found a little 30 second video clip of here's how you get started, a tool, tool tip, as you said, was missing. A lot of these software companies didn't do that. They said, here's a sign up, now download. Well, what do I do after I've downloaded? How do I actually you know, put it to use in my use case? So little video clips, little, um, sort of tips itself, that's just copy, copy on the website, or usually it's a microsite or landing page or something. And then within the product itself, um, we like to encourage hooks in the software to detect are people actually using the software? <laughs> you know, if they're not, then that's a sign that there's some abandonment going on. So the product itself can have some reminders to say, hey, your, you know, your trial has started, you have 25 days left, for example, uh, you might try XYZ. So more proactive outreach to that trialist. And, and I could go on, but we have like six steps in this process. It's an eventy process to look at the trial. And we look at each and every um, step of the process and also benchmark it versus the, our clients' competitors. Because sometimes it's a matter of, well, you know what? It's easier to try someone else's software than your trial, for, your trial software. So I'm just not going to bother. So those are some tips to think about. Thank you. So what about some other unexpected successes? Yeah, and another one comes to mind is uh, SAP. We, we're, we do quite a bit in terms of their virtual events. And we wrap along with an SAP event, for example, the Innovation Award. SAP uh, looks to us to provide some help with that. You know, they have an event. It's a three-day event. And this is one of their annual events. And I talked about that earlier in, in our call here, you and I, Maya. Uh, events are important. Um, but people do tend to kind of cherry pick specific sessions, like an hour session here and there within the three-day event. The thing that was surprising to us is we did a lot of social media before, during, and after this event. When I say social media, I'm saying about the content within the event itself at SAP. And what we learned is the SAP executive told us like the social media extended the life of that three-day event out to three to six months in terms of engagements of uh, and conversations with those prospective customers. So it was kind of surprising. They thought, you know, most of the marketing was sort of a few days before the event, during the event, a little after. The social media amplification was dramatic. It really extended the life of that investment uh, over a period of three to six months. And that was surprising. We knew social media is important, but if you can wrap it with an event like this, then you get much more bang for your buck and you get a lot more stickiness, if you will, with those prospects. So that was surprising. It sounds like these two examples that you've given so far actually do have a common thread, which is don't just deliver the thing and then stop there. So in other words, don't just exactly. grab the people into the free trial and you know have a nice day and don't just have the event. And then like you're saying, maybe post a couple of wrap up videos and, and that's it. So would you say that there's a common thread in some of the successes that you've experienced with Eventy Group? Yeah, Maya, that's an excellent catch. That's a really smart um, connection you, you made there. And, and I think the key there is around relationship building. We're, we're trying to build trust, build yes. relationship between our clients, you know, tech firms, the SaaS mm -hmm. organization and their prospective customers. And there's a Gartner statistic that says something like 60% of the buying happens before that before that company ever even talks to a salesperson. Incredible. Something like 60, 65% mm -hmm. in that range. About think of it as two-thirds of the decision 
process, the learning, the education, getting informed happens long before they ever even talk to a human being. So yes, you're right, my very good comment. Uh, in both these examples, it's not throw something out there and see what happens. It's more like, how do you engage with those prospects, build relationship, you know, content, and understanding that their experience is, is just very important, I think, to establish this kind of stickiness. And that leads me absolutely to this example that you were talking with me earlier about, about customer advocacy programs. Mm -hmm. I think that just leads right into that because, you know, you're, you're developing this long-term relationship with someone, helping them to learn, to grow, to do their job more efficiently, and then to share that experience. And people love to share. And I think I like that comment you just made. People intrinsically like to share. People meaning your, if you're a SaaS company or a software company and you're targeting a set of buyers, those folks are already hanging out in a couple of areas. So one is product review sites. Um, they're kicking the tires long before they ever talk to you. They'll go to G2, for example, or Captera, Gardner Insight. Trust Radius is an awesome company where they put up a lot of very interesting success stories. Um, all of those uh, websites are places where your prospects are already going to get educated to your, to your comment there, Maya. They're trying to get educated and informed before they're even ready to make a decision. They're just trying to understand something. And advocacy programs is all about sharing. So it's the same idea. Why do people go to Gartner Insights or Captera or G2? They're going to share their personal experience. They're there to share. Customer advocacy programs is all about make it easier for your customers to share their experience. Obviously, if it's a positive one, you want that. And one example comes out, comes to my mind is Juniper, one of our clients. Uh, they do a program called Juniper Ambassadors. I would highly encourage you to, to Google that up, Juniper Ambassadors. And this is a customer advocacy program and it makes it easy, easy, easy for Juniper customers to share their experience. Um, and it provides easy access to new products that Juniper is launching. It invites them to user meetings. And there's a lot of social media amplification as well that Juniper does very nicely. So both of these you know, product review sites, advocacy programs are all about helping that your target customer share their experience and you want to be part of that conversation. Sounds like just such an uplifting way to look at the business that we are all in, that it really isn't just figure out a message, grab some leads, you know, maybe make some sales along the way. It really is a relationship building process. It makes it more human. It does make it more human. And I, I want to give credit to one of my fellow Venti partners, Avery Horshevsky, who's an expert in social media. And she reminds me all the time, social media and all of these are about, it's, it's about sharing, authentically sharing. It's like if you were in a living room or having coffee with somebody you just met, you want to get to know them. You want to share your experience. You want to understand, learn, hear their experience authentically. And what a lot of marketers, I'm afraid, sometimes do is broadcast. They just, just pitch, they broadcast. It's like one way out. And that's not really what works well. Uh, what works better is to listen, to share, to understand, to appreciate. And it's much more human, as you said, Maya. I think it's a brilliant comment on your part. It, this is about how do humans interact in the real world? And how we could we as marketers do a better job of doing what humans naturally do when you bring them together? 
Beautiful. Well, I want to know actually, so you do a lot and you know so much. What what is <laughs> what is one of your favorite current projects? Can you share your favorite project with us that you're working on right now? Oh, favorite. Oh my, this is tough. You're making me choose one. Can I you can two in? Yeah, you can I... we can allow it. Yeah, we'll okay. we'll let you do two. What are your two favorite current well, initiatives? A couple initiatives. One is messaging and positioning. You know, we're really very rigorous and disciplined about that end customer, that target buyer, you know, what exactly is your value proposition? What pain points are you solving for? What are their purchase triggers? You know, really try to get into the minds, the heart, the soul of that target buyer. And that is messaging work, messaging and positioning. Sometimes SaaS companies are so ready to get to market and they think the product will sell itself. Well, I hope it does, but good messaging requires some deep thought, deep research, deep understanding of that target per set of personas. So that's a favorite initiative of mine for years, of ours for years. The best marketers are the ones who do a rigorous job on messaging and positioning stuff. So know that target customer so that you can engage more effectively. Um, I would say a close second, Maya, if you made me, is sales enablement. Sometimes marketers don't put enough attention on the sales organization. That means either channel partner sale, sellers or your your sales organization and sales could include inside sales reps, sales development reps, account executives, um, channel account managers. So when I say sales, there are a variety of personas within sales. So it's really important, I think, for marketers to work with your sales organization, understand they're not going to read. Most reps don't read, really. I hate to say that. So what works for them? How, what is the best way to train and educate and mentor and coach and guide your Sales reps, uh, sales battle cards are very important. Playbooks are good. These are good tools, learning modules. But again, it goes back to relationship building. You know, you as a marketer, I would highly encourage you take some cycles every week to get to know your sales team and really work with them on these conversion rates. What's going to make them more effective and help them make more money? And we all win when that happens. And that is the same thread that we were talking about earlier, which is that follow through, not just taking leads and dumping them with the sales team, but really right. figuring out a way to nurture the relationship in a way that works. So I love that we do have this wonderful common theme today of follow through commitment and nurturing of the whole holistic relationship between, you know, different stages of the business or different stages of, of what you're trying to achieve. Shreeder, I really appreciate you being on our show today. I want to know how, how can our listeners reach you or follow you? Where do you want them to connect? Well, it's been a delight talking with you, Maya. I appreciate the privilege of doing so. And, and I love how you've summarized this whole point around the humanity that we want to bring as marketers to nurturing those relationships, whether they're internal in the sales organization or external out to that customer. Best way to reach me is Sridhar at aventigroup.com. That's S-R-I-D-H-A-R at aventigroup.com. And the other way is in LinkedIn. I'm S. Ramanathan. You've been listening to the Marketing Hero podcast by ClearPivot. Be sure to join us next time. For more information, visit www.clearpivot.com.